1: Welcome to the wheelhouse.
2: You can see the confidence build day by day, and there's an electricity to his personality on the field that's really hard to look away from.
1: Starring Jerry Depoto And Jerry Depoto to the plate with the 2-2 pitch to Alex. Swing and a miss. He struck him out on the fastball. With Aaron Goldsmith. And now chapter three is, yeah, he's a real ball player. He's an impactful player. He can do a ton for your team. And this is a guy that can really help to solidify a big league lineup. And Gary Hill, Jr. He
0: seems along those lines where he wants, To be great and does everything possible to go get it.
1: It's time for the wheelhouse. Here's Aaron. Welcome to another episode of the Wheelhouse Podcast. I'm Aaron's broadcaster, Aaron Goldsmith, joined as always by my good friend, Gary Hill. G Man, good to be with you, man. It's great to be here. Happiest guy in the ballpark every time. Jerry, it's a tough act to follow, man.
2: I can't possibly be as happy as Gary, but I'm, I'm working
1: on it. You know, I actually had somebody uh, say to me, hey, I saw, I saw the uh, the podcast on, on Root Sports. I said, oh, great. I'm, I'm, I'm glad, you, glad you caught it. And he said, yeah, I just love when Gary says hi at the start of the show. And I said, really? Because it's actually, I think it's kind of uphill from there. But they thought that that was downhill from there. They thought that was the apex of it. Just the jo- the natural joy and enthusiasm that Gary has for the pod. Did
2: did you watch Welcome Back, Cotter while you were uh, a kid? Can I
1: tell you? Days? I have no idea what those words are that you just said. Oh
0: my God! What? This is you don't know Welcome, Welcome Back,
2: Cotter? Cotter.
1: I mean, I'm 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 two on one right now, but I'm just I'm just being honest.
2: Wow, this it was a TV show in the in the '70s. It was yeah, it was it was great. Uh, maybe reruns one day coming over.
1: Okay, cool. so I'm gonna well, is that Cotter with the C?
0: Uh,
1: with
2: a K. keg. Uh, with the Eric with the C. Yeah, Eric with the Cotter with the Great theme song. Oh, okay. Just there's no story
0: now.
1: Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I've ruined something else. My my apologies. Uh you know, I do have some before we get into it, right? Cuz we got we got stuff as always here on 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 the house you saw the the field of dreams game i'm sure or parts of it i did all right uh, which was one of the great moments in regular season baseball history i think at least for broadcast television in a recent memory but it brought on this very stern debate uh a la field of dreams of course and that is jerry do you say or did you say growing up you want to play catch or do you say you want to have a catch i mean this became very controversial I always said you want
2: to have a catch. Oh man,
1: Gar, play catch. I, I mean, it's funny because the people who say have a catch, it's like there's another way to say it, right?
2: I I always had catches.
1: <laughs> of course you did. Yeah, I I've always just played catch. But yeah. I, I I but is that because of of the movie? No, no. This for I me mean, it, it predates, the, predates movie. the movie. Yeah.
2: You know? I, my dad, my dad commuted. To, we we lived in Central New Jersey, Tom's River, New Jersey, and uh, my dad commuted back and forth by train to work. He worked in Manhattan for a number of years, so he had a two-hour train ride every day. day. Oh, two, and then two hours coming really? back. Really? And, and he'd come home in the summer, and there was still some sunlight. And and I would say to him every night when he got home, Dad, do you want to have a catch? So
1: is it uh, an is it a an East Coast thing? Is it could that be? Maybe apparently Costner, like fought against the phrase, have a catch. Uh, so I heard him discuss uh, when he went through the media gauntlet prior to the Field of Dreams game. But uh, the screenwriter was like adamant, it's have a catch. And Coster talked about how awkward it was for him to say that, because he was of the play catch camp.
2: Yeah, I was but, of the have a
1: catch. Uh, you know, hey, tomato, tomato.
2: So, so also, uh, this just to, to throw in there uh, to make it even more nostalgic. I was with the Colorado Rockies in my, it was actually maybe my final healthy spring as a player. Uh, So this is 1999. uh, I believe it was 1999. and, And Kevin Costner was filming The Postman. And Tucson, Arizona, was where they did a large majority of the, the filming for the movie, and uh, and he spent a week in camp with us, uh, really uh, like playing baseball with the Rockies, and uh, and he has real baseball skills. It, uh, it we're typically at that time you would have player or, or celebrities roll through major league camps. Some would, would, you know, actually play. Garth Brooks would play in real major league spring training games. I will bet you Garth Brooks probably had fifty at bats in Major League Spring Are you Training serious? games in the nineties. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and and Kevin Costner spent a week with us in, in camp while he was filming. He would he would come over in the mornings, go through the workouts, take batting practice and and then leave and go do whatever actors do on site. Uh, but yeah we got to spend a week with him and, and in the, in the Rockies camp. It's pretty cool. Very
0: cool. We got to get Aaron into a game. I want to see uh, first a fastball around ninety-seven, and Easy. then a, a wicked slider from a righty
2: against Aaron. That's what I want to see. So, yeah. the, My very first at bat as a as a professional player. Now, mind you, I've I hit as a high schooler, and I could hit
1: as a high schooler. Yeah, that's what every pitcher says. We can go <laughs> ahead.
2: Yeah. But I hit as a high schooler, and then I went off to college. Signed to play pro ball, spent four years in the minor leagues, went through another two years uh, with an American League club before interleague. So it had been north of 10 years since I had a bat in my hand that wasn't a fungo hitting something soft to an infielder (laughs) as a minor leaguer, you know, doing one arm wallpaper hanger duty. So uh, I, I hadn't hit I get to spring training after I'd been traded to the Mets uh, you know and, and I've got my own bats with my name on them. I think that's really cool and, and I get in the, the cage and I'm hitting off of the you know the, the the, the pitching machine, and I'm thinking, oh, this isn't so bad. And, you know, and this was in the, the shortened spring of 1995 where, you know, you had three weeks to get ready. And, you know, we had a number of pitchers that had been acquired from American League teams that year. Myself, Dave Malicki, Doug Henry, there were, there were a handful. And uh, Dallas Green, our then manager, decided that we had to experience at-bats before the, the season started. So we're playing the Dodgers one night in Port St. Lucie, and Todd Worrell is is pitching for the Dodgers. And... (laughs) Some for some reason he chooses this to be my opportunity to get in that bat and, and I go up to face Todd Worrell and the first pitch he throws me is an upper 90s fastball because at that time not a lot of guys threw that sure. hard and he threw an upper 90s fastball and I turned around to the umpire and I said oh my god <laughs> was a, I, I was terrified I thought that there's no chance I just closed my eyes I swung at the next one and I hit a fly ball I oh you did oh,
1: yeah. hey that's something man
2: and then I didn't get a I didn't get a hit for many years after that <laughs>
1: (laughs) While we are on the subject of, um, shall we call it, like baseball vernacular, I do think this is a good time, since uh, you are a man of the game, to clear up two other, uh, I think, very controversial phrases. Are we game for this? I'm I'm not. This is not Stump J.D., all right? We're actually relying on you to kind of help set a trend here. If nine batters hit in one inning, is that batting around, or does it need to have the 10th? In your estimation, to bat around?
2: No, I think it's the nine. The nine and you bat around. Gary, do you have a thought on this? Wait, I, I need some clarification. Okay, here. So, so nine you need,
0: you need the tenth batter to come up. Do you need the tenth batter of an inning to bat around? Or just when, send the, nine? when the ninth is batting, is that batting around?
2: Is That's that the question. Or did you just exhaust the nine man lineup? I think you batted around. Gary, do you have I think you need the tenth to come
1: up? See, you know what's interesting about that? I've always been a 10th a guy, but I, I once uh, recently uh, saw a visualization of batting around because <laughs> this was uh, so controversial. And all they did was they just drew a circle with nine men, and the ninth person completed the circle. It completes the lineup, batting right? Around. And I saw that and I thought, oh my gosh. This
2: makes sense to me. This does make sense.
1: <laughs> that I can buy as batting around. Because everyone did bat. Because everyone did bat.
2: <laughs> so you want it? You want it to be like the S that just keeps. Yeah, it's not. It's just. It's just a line.
1: I, I'm more. I'm more on the nine man batting around bandwagon than I ever have been. Gary, do
0: you want to join me? We'll talk about this later. I it, mean, this is important. It's heavy. Uh, it's heavy. I mean, it makes sense. Uh, yeah. Everybody batted. Everybody batted. See? I know. Or you could just say that and skip the whole thing. Everybody
1: batted. <laughs> it's, like, it's like saying a no-hitter without saying a no-hitter. Like, it, nobody's yeah. gotten a hit no
2: yet. <laughs> well, I didn't say anything. Yeah, I, know, I didn't say no-hitter.
1: I just said nobody's had a hit. Okay, final one. This, I think, is maybe the most controversial. If a pitcher, let's just cherry-pick a number, a pitcher faces six batters in an inning. Oh, I know where you're You know, you're know where going I'm going. Yeah. And he strikes out three of them did he strike out the side because some people will argue that you only strike out the side if it's a one two three inning
2: I would not be one of those people three strikeouts you struck out the side all of the outs were recorded by strikeouts. okay I'm of
1: that same camp I think you take it the next step further you say he struck out the side in order if it's a one two three inning because my argument to that would say if you get a ground ball out on the, let's say, sixth batter to end the inning, then you would say he grounds
0: out to retire the side. Yes. Gary? So, yeah, you are both technically correct on this. Oh, here, we go. here what, we go. What I will say as a play-by-play person, when you say struck out the side, it should have some meaning to it. Well it
1: does. You recorded all three outs via the
0: strikeout. Right, that means something. You, you could also give up six runs well, in between I, the three strikeouts. But. And so you can't say technically, hey, he struck out the side. <laughs> yeah, but his the strike his team is down by ten, but he struck out the side. So I only use strike out the side when it's meaningful and he literally struck out the side with nothing else happening. So while you're
2: technically correct. I do not use it that way. Oh,
1: okay. Gary! Oh, Gary,
0: my, Gary
2: doesn't use it that way. I don't. I can tell you if you strike out all three hitters in a major league lineup in an inning. First of all, if you do that and give up six runs, (laughs) you probably just became the first of your kind. (laughs) If you strike out all three hitters in a major league inning, you just did something meaningful. They're they're the best hitters in the world. What
1: counts is your K per nine, okay? (laughs) And your K per nine just got better.
2: (laughs) Seemingly, unless you're Randy Johnson. Right,
1: now your ERA might have just completely inflated. Uh, But, you know, Gary, I see your point, but I do enjoy the humor of saying in those rare instances where a guy gives up a six spot, punches out three, saying, he strikes out the side <laughs> while giving up six runs. <laughs> like, I think there is some some comedic value to that. It's sure, true You is. know, that somebody would pick up on. I, I'll be honest. I don't think Jerry was as emphatic about anything more than striking out the side.
2: Striking out the side's yeah. a big deal. Yeah. yeah. It's a big deal. All right.
1: Well, we're out of time. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but we cleared up we, a lot of nuance. All of um, baseball fans across the world are grateful for our efforts here.
0: All right. Well, I will say that... Paul Sewald in Houston. Now that was striking out the side. Yes, it is. Well, I mean, but did he
1: see now? Here's Gary. His technical—he's double double backing on his technicalities. You know, that sounds like a classic G-man move to me.
2: And I, that Paul Seawald has had multiple strike out the side moments this year. That was magical. the The job that he did—it was a Houdini act against really good hitters. And, <laughs> and you know, to do that at that moment in time when the game is just hanging in the balance, I, there's not to, to segue out of Baseball technicalities, but you know I, I do think that that job, you know what Paul did, even what Joe Smith did earlier in the game, inheriting runners mm-hmm. at second and third, and and coming up with big strikeouts against really good hitters. Uh, that's a that, that's a, an amazing thing, and, and allowed us to, to salvage a game and and get out of that. To, really to, to finish that the first six games that road trip four and two instead of three and three.
1: Well, since our our nonsense has taken us into this path, uh, let's let's run with it here. Uh, the pitching for the Mariners in the month of August has been exceptional. It's been among the very best in all of the majors, whether you're talking about the rotation or the bullpen. The bullpen has been an anchor all season long. Uh, What is it that you're seeing right now from uh, either unit, relievers or starters, uh, that has led to the success in the month of August?
2: Well, you know, prior to the ninth inning of the third game of of the Texas series in Texas, our our pitching was the best in the league uh, up until that point, and I think the, the catalyst had been strike one. Mm-hmm. It's it's one of the things that we have pounded for years and our pitchers have really taken to heart. And it's something that we're doing a remarkable job of being consistent with from the starters to the relievers. And I, and I think our relievers have taken it to another level and that they, they just stopped walking people. And, you know, they were going multiple games without walking, mm-hmm. you know, opposing hitters in a game. And, and when you when you constantly attack the strike zone with the kind of stuff that, that a lot of these guys have good things happen. And, you know, as a result, we were suppressing runs and we were giving our team a chance to win every game. And, and we were doing that a fair bit, despite the fact that our offense was really not operating on, you know, or, or hitting on all cylinders for, for a while there. And, you know, I, I think it was a remarkable run. I, you know obviously we ran into it a little bit when we got to Houston, but you know, the, the, I guess, the recipe of going out and hammering the strike zone on 0-0 and winning your 1-1s. That's been the secret sauce. Is You know, when you can go 0-1 or 1-2 as a, as a pitching staff, what you do to the hitter is amazing. And it doesn't matter how good the hitters are. It is really hard to hit in those counts in the big leagues. So how much
1: of that is physical stuff and how much of it is mindset? Because you can tell a guy throw it in this box, right? Throw it in the strike zone. But it's obviously not that easy, or more guys would do it. So how do you kind of balance the, the mindset versus the physical ability to do that?
2: I, for us, it's a the, it's creating a constant with the mindset. You know, I, I pitched for a lot of years, and, and people suggested to me through the years that throwing strikes, you know, could help. You know, it would be a very important element to, to success. But nobody ever drove it day after day after day. And, I, you know, I know Woody and Trent drive it day after day. Scott drives it day after day after day. Andy and Max Weiner in our minor league system, they drive it. And at the very youngest stages of, of their careers, they understand these are if we do these these two things, we throw a strike one and we win our 1-1s, good things are going to happen. And then lo and behold, they do. And, and, and I think our very best month in oos and 1-1s and was August you know, until we got to Houston. And, and then we came off the rails a little bit. Those are the, the the two key counts for us, and and if you establish that as this is what we do, and and you saw it with Tyler Anderson on the Sunday game in Houston, uh, he went out. I think he was 80% first pitch strikes. You've seen it with Marco. Marco's resurgence in in August is from throwing strike one and winning his one ones. He's always been been able to do that. And now that he's doing it again, you know he, he turned back into the Marco that we had watched for the three years prior.
0: Chris Flexen primary example of this 100% and the success he's had this season
2: that, and that's what Flex does. He yeah. goes out and he throws strike one, and he then he wins the one ones, and he doesn't give up free bases. You know, when we don't have a, a big overpowering strikeout mm-hmm. starting staff, so it's critical for us that that we suppress base runners by forcing them to hit their way on. Because you know what's not easy to do is get hits. It's really not that easy to get hits in the big leagues. At least Ted Williams once told me that was the case. <laughs> but you know, I, I think our starters do a wonderful job of going and attacking the strike zone and forcing the opponent to beat them by hitting their way on and sometimes they will but most of the time they won't.
1: I've got a a specific question about somebody that we've uh, we've loved watching pitch this year and has been everything that we hope for and more I think it's fair to say that is Logan Gilbert we know Logan is fastball heavy loves the heater and he especially loves the fastball first time through the order right I mean it's not a surprise to see Logan throw north of 70% fastball to the first nine batters Is that a problem against certain lineups? Like we saw him against the Blue Jays, which is an exceptional fastball-hitting team, right? So it's strength on strength. And Logan stuck with his strength. And Blue Jays stuck with theirs, hitting the fastball. Is that something that he can stay with going forward in his career does he have to pick his lineups to change his plan it's a great fastball but there are also some great fastball hitting teams how do you view that wanting him to stick with the strength but also knowing at times that you got to you got to hit your spot against some teams like we saw against the Blue Jays
2: so I do think that it is something Logan sticks with it's a it's who he is you know he is all about the, the, the fastball quality and and his he's 93 to 98. But it plays much, much Mm -hmm. harder than that. And, you know, it's a very deceptive ride on his fastball. As as a general rule, when Logan's on, I don't care who's in the box. If he's elevating his fastball and he's getting that ride at the top of the zone, no one's really going to do much with it. But as you go through the league, you know, I'm going to quote Nuke Lelouch here. You know, (laughs) The, his response to Kevin Costner right, when when pressed with, you know, you gotta, we got to throw something different than the fastball here. Yeah, and he said, I'm going to announce my presence with authority. They haven't seen my fastball yet. And, and if you recall, that's when Costner actually put down, you know, <laughs> yeah, right hey, a fastball is coming. Speak, speak well of me, that, that that great line. You know, Logan has to find out who he can do it to and who he can't because when your fastball is that special and you're that confident in it, Any one of us could say to him, hey, you can't throw your fastball to to so-and-so. And his first reaction, as it should be, is, oh, yeah, <laughs> watch. <laughs> and, you know, and he's learning. And, you know, there is, a, it's like a tennis match, especially over a long career. You know, you serve, they return the serve. Now he's got to figure out how to create a different look with his next serve. And and, and I think you saw that in his outing against the Astros. It wasn't a successful start, but he threw a lot of secondary stuff. He started using his other weapons, and, and he has to develop the confidence in doing that because when you are are facing a high-contact team that hits the fastball well, like the Astros do, you have to have another trick in the bag. And and we're confident that Logan's going to pick that up, but he has to learn that going through the first time. It's not something you can read in a book.
0: When you look at Logan and what he's experienced lately facing the Blue Jays, Yankees in Yankee Stadium, the Astros at Menomay Park with that offense, for a young pitcher, what kind of value do you put on those experiences for a guy who's, you know, just 16, 17 starts into his career.
2: Well, it's he's 24 years old. We plan on him pitching, you know, in really high leverage spots against really good teams in cold months of the year for for a long time. And, you know, in order to feel comfortable in doing that, you have to experience it. And, you know, I, I, Logan is always going to stay mentally focused. And Even as as he's gone through a bit of a lull in, in terms of the outcomes, he, he has not backed off his willingness to attack the strike zone. And for the most part, even while he struggled with some of the feel of his secondary stuff, like he did maybe against Tampa in Tampa, you know, like he did uh, against Houston, uh, in those instances when, when he just has, you know, the fastball, he has to be able to hit all of the locations in the strike zone because there's going to be days where you just don't have that great feel for your secondary stuff. But he has enough of a special fastball That if he just remembers it's all about hitting the different areas of quadrants of the strike zone, he can still go out and roll through and give you a chance to win, like he did in Tampa. You know, I mean, he got us to the sixth inning of that game against a really good offense simply by pitching with his fastball. And he didn't have his good fastball command, so he had to create different looks. And And uh, he has so many different ways to win, and the experiences that he's gaining right now against the big boys in their home uh, during a playoff race, is a, it's invaluable to us, like it is for a lot of the other guys as well.
1: How do you define a stress pitch?
2: There's... Hmm, the anxiety I'm feeling before I throw it. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we hear or someone else throws it. We, we, it's something we
1: talk about uh, somewhat often on the broadcast, right? And we hear Scott reference it. And I feel like it's typically something that even uh, the the viewer can kind of recognize, right? But for somebody who's been there on the mound, there must be certain instances where a 20-pitch inning uh, feels... Uh, a lot more taxing than another 20-pitch inning, or you can cherry-pick whatever number you want, but when you're watching the game, and you know that this pitcher has X number of pitches on his pitch count today when he takes the mound, when he has a whatever number of pitch inning it is, but there's traffic and it's against batters A, B, and C. And now it's starting to affect how long he's going to be out there for the rest of the day. Like, like walk us through a little bit, some of those situations, how Scott might be deciphering, this is going to cut his day short by an inning, or maybe it won't because it was a longer inning, but... Man, it wasn't that stressful for whatever reason.
2: So they're, not all pitches are created the same. Uh, I and mean, usually it does have something to do with the, the, the amount of traffic that's on base. Like, for instance, and I can't tell you how many pitches Paul Seewald threw during his inning on, on this past Sunday's game against Houston but they were high-stress pitches. Mm-hmm. You know, he, he, he was in the middle of it. You know, the, the when Johan Ramirez comes in with the bases loaded to face the Altuve and Brantley uh, with the game and the balance, those are high-stress pitches. So it's some combination of the the anxiety that, that most humans feel when, when you're in, th- you know, tight situations and you have to perform. You know, when you go out at the, to take the, the ball in those innings and you realize that there is no – backup plan either you're going to get it done or we're probably going to lose this game. And, and I think with the starting pitchers, especially in the early innings, you know, if in the first couple of innings of the game, you've got a lot of traffic in the first couple of innings and, you know, you're, you're 40, 45 pitches in the first two, maybe like you say was in, in this past Saturday's game or Friday's game against the Astros. You know, and in that instance, those early, you know, stress pitches, when you're pitching with constant men on base and you're behind in counts, when you're behind in counts, Else, the stress that you're putting on yourself to try to hit those, you know, precise spots is it, you, now not only are you stressing yourself physically, but you're stressing yourself mentally, you know, because no one's going to hit the, the, the head of the needle every time you throw a pitch. But that's the, the space you're forcing yourself into. And, and I don't think Logan ever really goes there. You know, I think Logan always focuses on the big strike zone, and he knows that when he needs to, he can like Flex, he can just come back in and start hammering the big part of the strike zone as long as he elevates it, and he can get back into counts. Uh, so his stress might be a little different than, say, you say stress, uh, which might be a very very different from the guys who are pitching near the end of the game. Because when you are brought in with someone else's runners-on and it's all on the line, there's your heart's just beating a little bit faster, your body's doing things that it doesn't naturally do, and your mind is working overtime. And, that, and when all those things start coming together, you see the smoke coming out of the ears. <laughs> that, all right, the high stress is <laughs> happening. It's right now.
1: Ty France has been one of the most productive hitters in the American League. I mean, where do you want to start the timeline, right? Uh, the beginning of the second half, you want to go back to the early part of July till now. Uh, you can tell he is, I don't know, he's not probably fully healthy. I don't know who is fully healthy at, at this time of the season, but he seems to be very well past the, the forearm issue that put him on the IL uh, earlier this year. Uh, this is the best version of Ty France, and it, I don't know, Jerry, what do you think? It's the best version of any Mariners hitter we've seen all year, maybe? I mean, that's a big statement. But, I mean, he's he's doing everything and more that you could have possibly hoped for.
2: Maybe better than we've seen in multiple years. You know, it's been that good. And, and I, Ty, when we acquired Ty from the Padres, and that might be – the start of his timeline <laughs> because yeah. he's really been quite good since the day he showed up in a Mariners uniform and, you know, and it's only gotten more and more pronounced because I think now we're seeing not just the, the hit ability that he brings to the table or to the batter's box. Every time he steps in it, you know, we're seeing power start to manifest itself. He's, he's always been able to take his walk the hit by Get pitch hit is by the part, pitch. part of his offensive <laughs> skill set uh, you know and, and there are guys that just have that part of their skill set
1: I mean is that really like, oh yeah would a scout really say that Absolutely. oh yeah no uh, uh, pros, uh, He he gets drilled
2: often and like it, you, twenty times, Don Baylor, Craig Biggio, sure. Jason Kendall. You know, they all they all had it. You know, Ron Hunt. They, they, these guys, they just get hit, and and when you get hit <laughs> as frequently as they do, it does count. You're on base, and you know. But I do think that ties. You know, he is starting to develop a sense. If at least it looks this way from from where I sit. And Scott and I have talked about it quite a bit. He's starting to develop a sense for what the team needs him to do in a moment, and and uh, I don't want to say it's as simple as oh throwing on the power switch or throwing on the oh I better get hit pitch, <laughs> you know, or, or switch. He's, he does what the team needs. When it's time to get a guy over, when it's time to do the simple thing, you know, Edgar will, will tell you that through the years, where you go to drive in your runs is in the middle of the field. You know, the, the, go to the big part of the field. Start in right center field and move that way. That's what Ty does. When, when he's in those moments, he hits like hitters who played years and years ago. There's some throwback in the way Ty does it. And, you know, I, I think what he's doing presently is reflective of the fact that he's healthy after having gone through a stretch where he was probably playing at less than, you know, right. I don't even want to say it's 100% because he's not 100% now. None of them are. But he was considerably less than 100% and he was still contributing. And what he's doing now is just driving our offense in some way. It's a, It's been so fun to watch. I'm glad you mentioned Ron Hunt, who was hit 50 times in one season. <laughs> Crazy, I right? I the best.
0: <laughs> really. Now, to your point, when you look at Ty France, who's now been a mariner for just over 140 games at this point, in that stretch, his average is just about 300, is on base over 360, about 20 home runs, over 30 doubles. It's a season, essentially a season's worth of production. That is really, really productive for a guy who sometimes, I think we get fooled into... Th- like, he's a veteran. He's been around forever. He's still really young, essentially, in his 26. major league career.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's got a year plus of major league service. He's 26 years old. You know, Ty is, when we acquired him, we really believed that he could do these things offensively. You know, and he's doing these things while growing into a heck of a first baseman. I, the defense he's played uh, has been remarkable. And and he had a tough act to follow in and, and Evan White, but it's, he, he's been awesome defensively. He's doing those things. He's put up, you know, let's call it, Something in the neighborhood of four wins above a replacement, and something reflecting a full season, while playing first base, second base, third base, roughly wherever we needed him to play. And I, I, I think what he does offensively, the consistency with which he does it, uh, and and I think he's only getting better. It's uh, we've seen it within you know this season, but even just since he's joined us, you know he's 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 grown in his strike zone management. Mm. He's grown in his ability to get to his power. He's always had the power, you know, and now he's getting to it with more frequency. And I don't think that's going to change because he's, he, he, he really thinks about what he's doing in the batter's box and he's got great rhythm that, that helps.
1: So we hear uh, Scott and you referenced this earlier, the, the mantra of dominate the zone. And I think so oftentimes we think of it strictly from the pitcher's side of things, but it's obviously very applicable for the hitters. And when you look at some of the, players that you have acquired, uh, the guys like Crawford stand out, uh, France certainly, Abraham Toro, guys who are walking uh, like probably at least around league average rates, but the strikeout rate, the swing and miss is noticeably below. More contact guys. Not that they're not hitting for power as well, but they put the ball in play. I mean, on a nightly basis, you you know that you have those three at least and I, I could be leaving somebody out as, as a regular, but those stand out, uh, really stand out. I mean, is this... Is the pendulum kind of shifting in this regard? Like, the value of that type of a hitter in this swing and miss environment that we've seen uh, kind of for years now at this point, like the value of that player has increased as a result to counterbalance uh, the whiffs that a lot of lineups have from the majority, it seems like, or at least half of their hitters?
2: Well, and, and we have been chief among them for for a number of years where we strike out a lot and and that's something of a byproduct of developing young players in the big leagues it's something of you know for a a period especially 2019 we had a lot of high power hitters with a lot of strikeout in their game but when you watch the best teams in the league and and I'll point to teams like the Houston Astros like the New York Yankees the those lineups that just keep on coming even the Toronto Blue Jays present day Mm -hmm. you know The the guys in the middle of their lineup don't strike out. There's by the standards of that we consider strikeouts today, you know, where 25 30 percent is is an acceptable rate Mm -hmm. for middle of the order power hitters. You know, you you go back and you look through in in the in the 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 old days when you're looking back through the lens at the Hank Aaron's and the Willie Mays and you know Mickey Mantle, who's among the highest strikeout totals of all time. Those guys didn't really strike out very much by the same standards that we accept today. And, and guys like JP and Toro and Ty France, when you have the opportunity to turn base runners into runs like Michael Brantley and Jose Altuve and Carlos Correa, they put the ball in play. And when you put the ball in play, good things happen. And and, and when you strike out in those moments, that's there is no chance, really, to score the run. But when you put the ball in play, and that's what these guys do, uh, you know, I'll say this because we just finished not too long ago with the Blue Jays. Incredibly talented team, very entertaining offense to watch. And uh, you know, a former teammate of mine is over there now as a as a special consultant hitting coach, Dante Bichette. Uh, his son Bo is the shortstop. And for years, I watched Dante, who was a great hitter for a period of time in the '90s. And with two strikes, Dante, like George Brett, like like Don Mattingly, they would spread out with two strikes, no stride, just hit with your hands and hit, you know, middle opposite field. Edgar Martinez comes to mind. And those guys don't strike out because they level out and they just try to fire a line drive out into right center. And it's a Frank Thomas hit that way. And and these guys who can do it with huge power, that's where the runs score is when you get in the middle of those lineups and those guys are willing to check down to a two-strike approach which is a natural thing for ty and toro and jp
0: i'd like to hear your thoughts on this too because i feel like directly tied to that is swinging at strikes because you look at some of the teams you just referenced the teams like teams that don't swing outside the zone you look at the teams that don't swing outside the zone and we're talking about the astros the giants the yankees it doesn't seem like a coincidence. We're talking about some of the best offenses in baseball.
2: There's no question. And like I will say this, you could throw the A's in there that yeah. that they, they, they just don't chase and you know, we have elevated ourselves mm-hmm. into that stratosphere. We have not yet matured in our ability to to kind of turn that into consistent offense or consistent runs the way those teams have. Yeah. But we are by far the youngest of them. We're, we're starting to do things that are really interesting from, you know, an under-the-hood the inspection. Our guys do force you to throw it in the strike zone, and we've become very good at grinding at the end of games. Mm-hmm. We also have some young hitters that are very liberal with, you know, the, the stretching the strike zone and chasing outside of it. And once we rope that group in, and we're able to do those things, that's how long lineups happen, is, is, is when you are forcing teams to throw. And we saw it over the course of the weekend series with the Astros. How many 8, 9, 10-pitch-at-bats did we see versus Logan, versus Tyler Anderson, or even versus Yusei? There's long at-bats where they wouldn't they wouldn't go away. And, and it's not simply because they're out there thinking, I don't want to strike out. I, they're forcing you into the strike zone. And when they force you into the strike zone, they clip it, they hit a foul ball. The next thing you know, the starting pitcher has 70 pitches in the fourth inning. And you're going to get into the, the softest part of that pitching staff, which is generally speaking, when you're behind in a game and the first one or two guys that come out of the bullpen are likely to be the, the guys that are most susceptible to, to good lineups really getting. And, and that's the, the, the plan is drive into that bullpen as soon as you can. And your point too you've moved into the top 10. Yeah we we yeah. we've we've preached it and stressed yeah. it because all you have to do it's a, it's like a self-selecting class. If you if I want to talk about the best, you know, pitchers of all time and and I and I categorize it in anyway, you know, swing and miss, it's strike one, who's the best at at winning one-ones? If you take the those categories and just sort the best Mm-hmm. Pictures that you're ever going to see, they all gravitate to the top of the list. You know, someone once said, you know, the cream rises to the top. That, they do. And, and the best teams, when you sort by those, by that data, they all rise to the top. So the easiest way for us to learn how to be one of those teams is to start doing those things that, that the great teams do. Don't just go out and let it hang out and, and, and you know, play a freewheeling game. Focus on what you're doing, because as 24, 25, 26-year-olds, we have a chance to help these. And we're starting it when they're 16 and 18. Mm -hmm. You know, we have a chance to develop the mentality to do the things that championship teams do and and, and to start doing it early.
1: I do want to take a quick detour down on the farm. Um, Some Mariners fans might remember... He was a closer for the Mariners for a very brief period of time, maybe not an officially designated closer, but he often pitched the ninth with the three-run lead or less. Uh, Taylor Williams. uh, Taylor Williams uh, was here for a short period of time, traded to the Padres, like on the same day maybe as the NOLA deal or like within hours of the NOLA deal? I think
2: it was a day or or so later, but it was pretty fast.
1: Yeah, the, the NOLA deal, like that's the trade with the Padres that Ty France and many others come over in, but people forget that... Taylor Williams was traded to San Diego as well. Matt Brash uh, was not announced at the time that Brash was coming over, but was announced as somewhat soon thereafter. And, uh, Matt Brash is just punching tickets left and right. He's in double a now. Uh, and that's a stacked rotation with some big headline names that have been on the cover of baseball America recently. And yet Brash is the one who is, uh, I don't know, maybe standing out the most, which is a, a maybe a bold statement. What can you tell us about Matt Brash, what he's doing? And, uh, what you made of it.
2: He's filthy, uh, is in, in a word. Uh, he, you know, Matt was an under the radar draftee. Uh, I want, the, the Padres took him uh, in 2019 out of Niagara. Uh, we didn't even see him as an amateur, you know, but we had video footage. And you know, it, it, imagine that we, you know, somehow we missed the under the radar guy at Niagara. But he, uh, you know, he, he had a really interesting, you know, data set. Uh, Coming out of the draft, we're like, all right, they got one. Like this guy has a super high spin rate. There's some. There's real velocity there. He's been up to you know 100, 101 miles an hour. Uh, Generally, will sit around 97 with his fastball, and he holds the velocity. He's got he's got the high spin on the breaking ball. He also has the ability to back up a changeup. He has a starter's repertoire with a really high. uh, I guess a, a pretty aggressive delivery and uh you know when when people look at matt your general assessment is that's really good stuff probably winds up in a bullpen because he's he's so you know here i come Uh, i actually it was passed on to me that our scout that was in to see him in his most recent double a outing uh sent a text that that referenced the outing as, oh my god, this was seven innings of Fury. <laughs> uh, and it, it's a, because it just didn't stop. You know, it was 97-98 in the first inning, and it's 97-98 in the seventh inning. And, and uh, you know, he has the the physical stuff and the ability to hold it that starters have. And, you know, and and it's you could draw comparisons to other pitchers that have that high-level stuff and the high, you know, volatility-type delivery. You know, that adds a bit of deception and a, and a bit of, I I guess, you know, here I am on the mound, and and Matt's been he's been awesome really since we've since we started. He is his strike throwing, his command have both improved exponentially, even just since his promotion to Double A, uh, and the stuff is off the charts good, especially the slider. Which on a scale of a hundred, hundred being average, you know we, we grade pitches out at a hundred based on their physical data, you know the, the you know the, the the effects on the ball, the spin, the the, the velocity, and all those things. The, uh, uh, his slider grades out as a 190. Uh, it's a it's an exceptional pitch, and you know, and he does that, and he has fastball velocity, and he can back it up. And now he's developing command. And whether he winds up in a rotation or in a, in a bullpen, it's probably not going to be too long uh, before we see him. and And we're really excited about what comes.
1: I'm very curious about the the 190 grade slider. Is there a pitcher in the org that has graded out 200 on anything? No.
2: Now, we have not had a 200 pitch, you know, and it, it's a it, it doesn't really happen. You know, it'll you might have because the pitches are graded uh, on a daily basis and then, you know, in aggregate. So you may have a day where a pitcher, yeah. you know, pops off and he's got like a 220 change. And you're like, oh, my gosh, that's <laughs> unbelievable. But, uh, you know, he Matt has been able to sustain a slider in that 170-190 range all year long. And, and if, if the way you reference that is this is somewhere between 70 and 90% better than the average slider, not than a bad slider, than the average slider, <laughs> right. that's pretty uh, exceptional. You
0: know, it's amazing. You mentioned he was under the radar at Niagara. I talked to Matt uh, recently, and how he got to Niagara is amazing. Uh, Baseball is the greatest. He happened to be at a showcase and he was playing shortstop, and a Niagara coach happened to be there and said, oh, he's got a really good arm. Do you want to just pitch for us and see what that looks like? (laughs) And so he did,
2: and here he is. I think it's incredible. Baseball's the greatest. He is—he's incredibly talented. That, yeah. that that whole rotation in Arkansas right now, with <laughs> you know, with Matt, I don't think people realize how good Levi Stout is. You know, now George Kirby and Emerson Hancock are there. Brennan Williamson got there a couple of months ago. It's a—it is a really talented group of guys, and really excited that they're now, they're now a phone call away. They're 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 at the front door, and we're excited to see what comes next.
1: How are you approaching the the minor league season? First of all, I'm I'm embarrassed. I don't know this. Was there ever a decision made? Will the season extend further because it got off to a uh, a month late start, or will it clip at the normal time that it normally would, and it'll just be essentially a slightly truncated season?
2: So at the AAA level, the the AAA players are going to play through the major league schedule at the minor league levels. The, the teams are at the double A and down levels. The teams are going to play through the second or, and in some cases third week of September. So much deeper than they typically do. And then we're going to have a playoff set up in each of the leagues for the two teams that finish one and two in their division. So right now, you know, it bodes well for us having all of our minor leaguers play through into early October, which is ideal for us.
1: And how has the whole idea of, and we talked about this at the start of the season with innings and minor league pitchers, especially those who, you know, didn't pitch at all last year, mapping it out. Uh, how is that going in, in kind of that, that spreadsheet of chaos to figure that out this year?
2: It's been chaotic, you know, fortunately for me, it's been chaotic for somebody else, <laughs> but, uh, you know, Max Weiner and Andy and our, our player development group do a phenomenal job. Uh, Trent Blank, who is actually our director overseeing pitching development in total, uh, and works closely with Max and Andy on these things they have set up targets uh, for our our pitchers and some guys like Logan you know who did throw you know through last summer though he wasn't building up huge inning totals similarly Brandon Williamson they were on more aggressive innings totals where guys like Emerson and George were on something you know that was a little more conservative and we've had to manage that And, and we've also had to manage that you know pitching every fifth or sixth day which we were doing the same thing with six-man rotations at all of our affiliates to to preserve pitchers' health and to to manage pitch count. And and as a result, just like I think we've seen at the major league level, all of our minor league players are starting to really kind of it, they are starting to excel while other pitchers are starting to hit innings totals or get tired around the league. And our guys, I, I don't want to say we're fresh, but we are a little fresher as a result. And, and we think that there's great value in pitching through the end of the schedule. Just making sure that we get them through pitching in September and, and you know, fingers crossed, pitching in October is, is a huge part of development.
1: We're going to wrap it up with uh, a great – Stump JD.
2: Is this about your garage door?
1: <laughs> I actually got rid of my initial question and focused on my garage door. I was late today because of my garage door. <laughs> I feel like the people need to know that. Um, okay, so Little League World Series going on, right? Now there's all kinds of uh, normal questions. You know, played in both. You know, no. Go Eli Jones. Yeah, no, my? this is. I, I will. I do have to admit something besides my garage door. I did ask Gary yesterday hey have i asked jerry this before because <laughs> we've done i mean how many episodes are we into this thing here I and mean, we're like uh, we're 70 plus yeah right that's right so i mean speaking of spreadsheets i have to cr- I, I have to go back this winter and make a stump jd spreadsheet yeah and we're gonna keep, keep track of i mean i don't want to double up the wins the losses and the embarrassments yeah, yeah. Yeah, well i, w- I w- actually that's a great idea we need stats yeah yeah we do need stats uh, we need a, a winning percentage here but more just like am i have i
0: asked this already uh-huh. i don't Gary initially thought that I did. Do you still feel that way? You know, I initially thought so, but the answer leads me to think yeah. that... Okay. Yeah, okay. Th- I don't... Gary scared me, but I don't think I've asked you this. All right, so Little League World Series going on.
1: Jerry, there is, <laughs> to my knowledge,
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> one player who has won a Little League World Series and has won a Major League World Series... He is an active major leaguer.
2: Active major leaguer. Yeah. And, and he is the one player who has won a Little League World Series and a Major League World Series. Wow.
1: I mean, this is like. And he's the only player
2: in history to ever do this?
1: Now, now don't, talk, don't start questioning things, okay? <laughs> okay
2: well, I don't know. <laughs> just,
1: just answer the question. <laughs>
2: An active player.
1: He's an active player.
2: To have won the Little League World Series and the Major League World Series.
1: You've nailed it once again.
2: I, I, I don't know who
1: it is. Uh, I think hints are, are required here. Don't you think, Gary? But I feel like this was he's, the thing. He's in the division. He's in our division? Yeah. He is in the Mariners' division.
0: Wow. We have seen him <laughs> a million times? A million times. A million
2: times?
1: yeah. So we've seen this fellow. He is from... Venezuela,
2: who has won a World Series in our division?
1: Yeah, no, 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 I didn't say he won a World Series in our division, Jerry. He won a World Series. He won
0: a World Series. He plays
2: in our
1: division. He's in our
2: division. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go. Could, could it be Jose Altuve? It could not be. I'm just guessing.
1: Uh, I would say he is among the most underappreciated relievers yeah, in the game. Fair.
2: Among the mm-hmm. most underappreciated relievers. Yeah.
1: So you know he's not a closer. In baseball.
2: From Venezuela. Yeah.
1: He is in his 14th big league season.
2: Is it Yuzmero Petit? Hello, yes! Jerry! It's uh, amazing. Went straight up for him. So, uh, I will say that when you first asked the question, I, I feel like somewhere along the way, and I, I'm not honed on my Little League World Series trivia. (laughs) That's why we're here. But uh, I was, one at one point I thought Gary Sheffield had done that, had won a Little League World Series and a Major League World Series Uh, and there, there were I believe Jason Veritek might have done that and won the or appeared in the college. He appeared in it was Little in all league, three. Yeah, college and Major League World Series. That's uh, a. But I thought I thought Sheffield had done that.
1: Well, I but. mean. I can, fi- I, I can fact I can Brian Kenny if you want me to.
2: I digress. Well, oh, is this Brian yeah, Kenny? Then then
1: I got to give BK credit. Like I, I, I say BK like like BK like Brian Kenny's outside the door or something.
2: <laughs> oh, you now know. I believe it.
1: <laughs> <laughs> He's uh, as dialed in as anyone. Uh, Yuzmero Petit. All right. So when you traded for Yuzmero, he didn't drop this. This is uh, this is pre World Series. That was the problem. He won it in 14 with the Giants.
2: No, Yuzmero was uh, we when I was with the Diamondbacks. We traded for Yuzmero Petit at the time. He was with the. Marlins. So and, after his rookie year. Uh, yeah, we acquired him. Yusmero came up with the Mets, was traded to the Marlins, then made his way from the Marlins to the Diamondbacks. Okay. And, and, and is, it was only the beginning of, of what can only be referenced as a long journey that has resulted in Yusmero Petit being, you know, everything that you thought that he was going to be when you watched him pitch in Binghamton when he was in Double <laughs> A with the Mets, he did. But he started doing it when he was 32, which was amazing. It's his field to pitch. And, and, and apparently he was doing it when he was 12 for Venezuela, which I didn't know.
0: <laughs> I have an update. Oh, you do? Gary Sheffield made it to the championship oh. of the Little League World Series. Yeah. They lost to Taiwan 4-3. to three. Because that's what everybody did. He they did. lost <laughs> to Taiwan. <laughs> he set the doubles record. Hello, wait. Gary Sheffield. Like the Little League World Series? Little League World Series doubles record set by Gary Sheffield. It was just... It doesn't shock me. Was he wagging the okay.
2: He was terrifying.
1: All right. I feel. I honestly feel much better now that Gary looked that up. Thank you, Gary. Because when Jerry starts questioning me on stuff, I mean, there's some things I'm pretty rock solid on, but you were rock I got to be, gotta be honest. <laughs> <laughs> there's a 10% chance that that just wasn't true at all. So, you know, which I think, I think is kind of a, a hanging clause for Stump J.D. if we can... Yeah. Well, you know... From week to week, yeah. possibly. I we're feel like mostly right on those, but <laughs> I, hey, how about Jerry's performance there? Yeah, that was good. I mean, that's a really hard question. That's a really hard question. But wait, oh, I think we filtered it down, like two tiers, and and you weren't spraying answers.
2: I mean, you. Yeah, you honed in. We have seen him a million times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so about that as accurate, accurate as you could be. Like,
0: Any time at this point, the Mariners play the A's, and we don't see Petit pitch in that game, it's weird. Yeah, it's very strange. <laughs> Something is wrong.
2: Yeah. There's, uh, and for a guy that comes in and is not going to overpower you with velocity, the the way he can make major league hitters just off just off center, the the barrel of their bat is pretty fascinating.
1: And pitch every day.
2: Every day. Yeah. yeah.
1: Uh, Jerry, fine work on stump JD. I would I would chalk that up as a win for you. Yeah, uh, d- yeah. Are, is there a, is there a middle column like a win with help? D- d- this a win-ish. an win. I'm not gonna win?
2: count this one as a win. An assisted
1: yeah. win. Okay. Well, nevertheless, fine job. And uh, Jerry, as always, we appreciate it, man. It's great being with you.
2: Now, nah, a lot of fun.